When was the last time that you did something and everything worked according to the plan? Maybe it was a single day. Maybe, maybe you were ambitious and tried an entire week or a month or a year. But when was the last time you tried to plan something and every step of the way you succeeded one after another? Last night I was talking to Michael Nolte, which tells you two things. I'm a gracious guy. And two, I can insert an illustration at any point before Sunday. But last night I was talking to Michael Nolte, and he told me the story of when he proposed to Carissa. In his words, everything worked out perfectly. Carissa had no idea. He had a friend that helped him. During the day, everything went according to plan. And when the time came to execute the proposal, in his words, everything worked out perfectly. Now, maybe you've executed a a sports strategy perfectly. Maybe you've given a presentation or a sales pitch that worked out perfectly. But when, when in your life have you seen a plan work perfectly. Well, this morning when we come to the book of Ezra, the reason we read from chapter 4, verse 24, all the way to chapter 6, verse 18, is because in this section of scripture, we see a plan work perfectly. God's plan for his people works just as he said it was going to. And I'm sure you all remember from a month ago when I last preached on Ezra, but we looked at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and and Ezra mentions Haggai and Zechariah. And we took a field trip and we studied Haggai for a week because Haggai and Zechariah chronologically can be shoved right here in between these two verses, between verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. But the thing we also need to remember is verse 24 needs to be moved chronologically in the book of Ezra. Because verse 24 actually picks up where verse 5 of chapter 4 leaves off. Chapter 4 actually happens a hundred years after chapter 5. And so we we have to remember, because when we come to Ezra 4, verse 4, we see then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed the counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All of the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. And so we find ourselves in verse 24. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and ceased until the second year of King Darius, the king of Persia. And this is where we find Haggai inserted into the story. Because Haggai came to the people, and what did he say? He said, consider your ways. Because the people of God had lost their way. They had forgotten who they were, and they had forgotten why God had set them apart to be his people. He said, consider where you're headed. The path does not work for you. And if you do not, we hear him pronounce covenant curses. He quotes Deuteronomy 28, 38, which takes the form of agricultural barrenness. 
He says, if you continue down the path you are going, you will not receive God's blessing. Consider your ways. Remember, Haggai was a meddler. He was meddling in the life of the people of God. They had been distracted. And God was calling them back. And if you remember, Old Testament prophets were God's appointed spokespeople, empowered with the authority of God. And he sent them at key moments in redemptive history to call his people back to live faithfully to the covenant of God. And then we saw something miraculous happen. The Spirit of God moved in the hearts of Haggai, moved in the hearts of Zerubbabel, moved in the hearts of Jeshua, and the people obeyed. As we read in Haggai 1.14, the Lord stirred up their spirits. And then that's where we pick up in chapter 5, verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. God had injected his spirit and revitalized the people. God moved in their hearts through his word, and he called them to follow by faith. And then we were reminded where we left off in the story back in Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. At that same time, as soon as the Spirit begins to work in the hearts of the people, as soon as God sends his prophets to call the people of God back to faithfulness, we see at that same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province of Babylon beyond the river, and Shatar, Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them and said thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked, what are the names of the men who are building this house? They asked them two questions. Who gave you permission and who are you? You see, these are adversaries. And they're not named adversaries as we saw back in chapter 4. But these are people who are continually to frustrate the plans of God. These adversaries want to know by whose authority Israel is working and who they are. And then he sends information to the king. As we saw in chapter 4, a letter was sent. It's like a royal tattletale or a royal hall monitor. We found people, they were doing something that we didn't think they should be doing, and so we're going to tell the teacher. And so they send a letter to the king in verses 6 through 10. This is a copy of the letter that Tantanese sent to the governor, of the governor that sent to Darius the king. To King Darius, all peace. Be it known to the king that when we went to the province of Judah, 
to the house of the great God. It was being built with huge stones and timber as laid on its walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Let me ask you something. What happens when you get tired? Do you know the signs that you emit to those around you when you get tired? Do you become cranky or angry or more often hangry? How does becoming tired change who you are and what you do? How does it change the way you respond to people? Because we, we can also admit this, right? When we're tired, we respond to people outside our home a lot better than we respond to people inside our home. But can you feel the tension that these people are feeling? They're tired. Chapter 4, all we hear about is the adversaries who are frustrating the plans of the people. We get to chapter 5. Haggai and Zechariah have showed up. They've injected new life through the spirit of God's people. And then in verse 3, we find ourselves in the exact same place. At the same time, people are asking them, Who are you and who gave you the authority to build this temple? But listen to what the people say. Listen to the response in verse 11 and 12. And this is their reply to us. And this was the reply to us. We are the servants of God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. Did you hear the response? How easily would it have been, oh, his name is Zerubbabel, or his name is Jeshua. The response is, we are the servants of the living God. We are the servants of God, of heaven and earth. They identify who they are by the God that they serve because he has injected new life into them. And they don't stop there. We are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which the great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, the God they have just claimed serve. And he gave them over to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. This is who they are. This is their story. Last night at Fayette Academy graduation, all the graduating seniors were given their diploma and a certificate that let everyone know who they are and how they have been formed. Their stories have all been shaped by their time at Fayette Academy. They had been molded and trained and taught by the teachers. Fayette Academy is part of their stories, and their diploma 
will represent that wherever they go. They are shaped by that school. Listen to what the people included in what they said. Our fathers had angered the God of heaven. That would have been a perfect line to leave out of any resume, right? We can tell you who we are by talking about all the, the great things that we have done. But this is a people who know who they are. They are servants. Servants always have a past, and usually it's not a very good one. Their story is that the king of old, Solomon, had built a glorious temple and filled it with all the vestments that God had told them to put in it so that they could worship the one true God in spirit and in truth. It was a sign to them of the glory and the blessing of this God who called them out of slavery. It was also a sign to the entire world of the great God that they would serve. But because, but because of their covenant rebellion, the greatest gifts that they were ever given had been stripped away from them. It was destroyed. Everything that God had promised them, a land, a temple, and a king, had all been taken away because of their unfaithfulness. Israel knew their story, both good and bad, and they did not hesitate to tell it when someone asked. And this should remind us of our stories. Right? We have a past, and it's not a happy one. We used to be rebellious against God's covenant. We too were unfaithful to living according to what God had promised to bless us with. We too have recited as we recite every week of how just this week, just this morning, we have been unfaithful to the God of heaven and earth. We too have acted in such a way that everything that God has promised his people should be stripped away from us. But just as Israel's sinfulness and unfaithfulness was not the end of their story, it's not the end of our story. Because then they get to verse 13, and they say, however. However, God's grace is injected into the story. However should be read just as the therefore in our declaration of pardon, was read. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt, and the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought to the temple of Babylon, 
This Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon and delivered one to whose one's name is Sheshbazzar, who is made governor. And he said, take these vessels and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on where it stands. This is God's grace and mercy for his people. There is no part of our stories, there is no part of Israel's story that can outmatch the grace of God. There is no sin that can be outdone by the love of Christ for us. This is why we can say boldly, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, however, God enacted on our behalf and gave us what we do not deserve because he loves us and he is faithful to us. This is who we are. This should be our response, even when we're tired, even when we forget about what our story really looks like, even when we're overwhelmed with with our sin, with our brokenness, or with someone else's sin and someone else's brokenness, we should say we are servants of the living God. He is with us. Regardless of our sin, regardless of what path we thought we were going down, God injected grace into our lives. How willing are we to tell this part of our stories when people ask? How willing are we and how vulnerable are we with our children? And if you don't have children, with the students of this church, how vulnerable are we to remind them of the grace that God has had for us, even when we're unfaithful? But then we recognized our sin. However, God's grace overwhelmed us. This is the response of who they are. They are God's people, and he has brought them home. And then there's a second question, the response to By whose authority do you do this work? In verse 13 again, we see, However, in the first year of Cyrus the king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house should be rebuilt. And this should, for us, remind us to the beginning chapter of Ezra, the very first verse. In the first year of Cyrus the king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And then we see the exact response received from the people. And Tatanai sent a letter and asked, is what they say true? Darius, go, go to the archives and see, is what they're saying true? 
And in chapter 6, we see Darius's response. We see God's plan becoming unfolded to his people. Because not only does he find this decree, but he increases it. In verse 6, Now, there, now therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bazanai, Bazania, and the associates of the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work of the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild the house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for the elders of the Jews that is being rebuilt the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue. you got to cough up some money for these people. The tribute of the province from the tribute of the province beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep, for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the kings and his sons. You see, Darius has just picked up where Cyrus left off. Cyrus made a decree to send him back to rebuild the temple. And now we see a decree from Darius doing the exact same thing, but even better. We need to provide what the Israelites need. Stay away from them. Let them build. From the first verses of this book, all the way through chapter 6, we are witnessing that no matter what circumstances happen to God's people, God's will will be done. The plan will go accordingly. Yet what we also see is that God's providence is not overriding the characters of the story. We see that each character plays a significant part in the narrative. God uses them in their finiteness with their characteristics, both the people in Israel and the people outside of Israel. And he uses even their failures and unfaithfulness to make his plan work. This is where we see the breadth of God's holy decree and his mutable purposes working for his people. Yet he uses the free choices of people, which is a mystery, to fulfill his purposes exactly as he planned it to happen. How do I know this? I'm really glad you asked that question. Let's look at verse 13. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bazanai, and their associates did what did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Idu. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Who decreed it? God did. And Cyrus did. And Darius did? 
God is at work. His plans are happening even when we don't see them. He is using all of our choices, everything we do, everything the world does to bring about his promises for his people. And then we see what happens next. In verse 16, And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of the house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and the sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel, and they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it was written in the book of Moses. God has physically and spiritually renewed, remade, and recreated his people according to his covenant promises. It's all going according to plan. And remember, remember what we read in Ezra 1.1. In the first year, Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Now, this is one of the most often misquoted texts in all the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 10-14 says this, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and seek back from captivity and seek me with all your heart, and I will be found, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banish you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I have carried you into exile. These are the plans that I have for you. Does not go without context. These are the plans that I have for you. Does not go without qualification. The plans of the Lord for his people is that they might be in the land and receive rest from him. The plans for the people of God is that they might experience the spiritual and real presence of their God dwelling in their midst. The plans that God has for them is for them to fulfill the covenant so that they might be a blessing to the nations. And this is what we read in verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered. They prospered. When everything goes according to God's plan, God's people prosper because they're in the presence of God in the land where he gives them rest. He had taken them out of the land. They have now been restored. He had destroyed the temple. The temple had now been restored. Everything is going according to the plan of the God of heaven and earth. And the same is true for us. 
even though we might not see it. These same plans that the God of heaven and of earth has set for us before the foundation of the world. Do you know what the plans for you are? Do you know what grounds God has made these plans for you? The plans for us are to find our rest in Jesus. The plans of God for his church are that we might be built as the new temple on the cornerstone of Jesus. The plans that God has for his people is that we might worship and pledge allegiance to our true king, who is Jesus. And let us not confuse God's plans for us in the gospel of Jesus and the prosperity gospel. We prosper, we flourish, we succeed because Jesus accomplished everything on the cross and rose on the third day. He has done everything according to the plan of God. He is our prosperity. Everything has gone according to the plan because the plan was Jesus. It is in Jesus we find hope. It is in Jesus that God's love endures forever. It is in Jesus that no matter what our stories used to be, we are transformed because the plan happened just like it was supposed to. And it is Jesus who has been given all authority and dominion. So what do we ask, or what do we say when people ask who we are? We are the servants of Jesus. And by whose authority do we build this church on Jesus? The one who has all authority over heaven and earth our king. This is what we're celebrating as his church. We celebrate Jesus.